Welcome back to the Beyond the Bunsen podcast. I'm Joseph Lara, your host, and I'm thrilled to have you here as we explore fascinating topics that spark my curiosity. As always, we'll delve into various subjects, offering insights into health, well-being, and more, with occasional nods to the rich tapestry of Latinx culture. Before we dive into today's discussion, I'd like to invite you to stay connected with us on Instagram at Beyond the Bunsen. There you can find behind-the-scenes content, exciting updates, and some funny moments. Now, let's jump back in time to my freshman psychology class on adult development and aging. I remember my professor, a psychology researcher, focused on age-based stereotype threat, the idea that common conceptions of aging become internalized and then act as like a self-fulfilling prophecy that reinforce negative age-related stereotypes. Some very sad and unfortunate stuff. Her teaching style was pretty unique. She encouraged scientific thought and curiosity by regularly asking us conceptual questions during lectures. I think this approach helped me grasp the material and it really allowed us to apply these concepts to some unfamiliar territory. In that class, we had weekly assignments to come up with questions about developmental psychology that we could answer if we were researchers. We then formulated a response to that question based on the information we had learned in the class up until that point. One week, we delved in the work of Eric Erickson, a German-American psychoanalyst well-known in developmental psychology. He believed social interactions and relationships played an essential role in human development throughout the course of our lives. To grasp this concept better, picture life as an eight-chapter book. Within each chapter, you encounter a wide array of things, from forming friendships to discovering your identity. Although each of these encounters or challenges may seem separate, they kind of stack onto each other and collectively shape who you ultimately become. Anyways. That week, I raised an interesting question. Why do we say bless you, and is the type of person who says it also more likely to engage in other beneficial behaviors? While I'm no developmental psychology researcher, that's the question I'm hoping to answer today. Okay, before we get into the psychology of sneezing etiquette, let's dive a little bit deeper into the history of this. As many of us know, sneezing is a reflex typically resulting from stimulation to the nasal cavity, so the space behind our nose. Although it can also be triggered by a surprising amount of other things, including sudden exposure to bright light, a particularly full stomach, and some other more complicated neurological or arterial conditions in that area of the brain. Interestingly, the phenomenon of sneezing as a result of full stomachs has its own name. It's called snatiation, a blending of the words sneezing and satiation, or being full. And apparently it's an acronym for sneezing non-controllably at a time of indulgence of the appetite, a trait inherited and ordained to be named. Yeah, quite the mouthful. (laughs) But the term was coined by a Dr. Judith G. Hall back in 1990 after an early publication that was documenting this phenomenon and mentioning its genetic link. So that's something that people inherit. Anyways, the fixation on sneezing seems to trace as far back as the Roman and Greek empires, with prominent figures such as Hippocrates, Aristo, and Celsus of Rome all viewing the sneeze as being a sign of something, maybe like an omen, from where we get the word ominous. Sometimes a sign of something good, like recovery from illness, but sometimes a sign of something bad. The positive interpretations of these sneezes was often of something good to come, 
and it's probably what led early people from both Greek and Roman civilizations to express their thanks or good wishes to the sneezer using phrases like long live or may Jupiter bless you. Stuff not so different from what we still use today. However, sneezes weren't always interpreted in a positive light. To many early Germanic peoples, a sneeze from either the groom or the bride prior to a wedding was commonly seen as a bad omen for the future of their marriage. And around the same time, some early pagans, that's to say people of non-Abrahamic religions, viewed sneezing as a forceful release of part of our soul from our body, and potentially opening us up to invasion by Satan or other evil spirits. Again, this belief is probably what led some people to offer up their good wishes to the sneezer with phrases like, live a long life, or God bless you. In the 14th century, when Europe was in the midst of the plague, the view of sneezes turned grim. Likely, people viewed a sneeze back then as being an indicator that someone was sick with the Black Death. As a result, Pope Gregory VII declared the sentence, May God bless you, to be a prayer that should be said following every sneeze, in the hopes of protecting against the plague. Unfortunately, these good wishes and prayers didn't do much to address the true source of problems, which were the disease-carrying rats and their fleas. To this day, many Western and predominantly Christian countries still use some variation of this phrasing, with it often being abbreviated to simply, bless you. Of course, there's still many modern-day omen-like interpretations of sneezes. In the Republic of China and Japan, if a person sneezes without a reason, it's believed that somebody else is talking about them. In that case, one sneeze usually means they're saying nice things, while two sneezes means they're saying bad things. Similarly, in Naples, when a person sneezes, it means they're being remembered or thought of by someone else. Today, most of us understand bless yous as simply being the polite thing to say after someone sneezes. But why doesn't this common courtesy apply to every sneeze? For example, if someone were to sneeze in the middle of a movie theater, the people immediately surrounding them may offer up their bless yous, but virtually everyone else in the movie theater won't even bat an eye. And I don't think that's just because they didn't hear the sneeze over the sound of the movie. When digging into the psychology of the people who are most likely to say these words, a few things jump out. First, it turns out that the idea of polite or nice is not just some vague description of how some people can act. In the realm of psychology, politeness is often used to refer to behaviors that are respectful of others rather than aggressive towards them. Our ability to conform to social norms and be a quote-unquote good citizen. What's interesting is that this trait seems to be linked to the parts of our brain involved in aggression, which is not the case for compassion, a similar albeit separate trait. Compassion typically refers to our ability to be emotionally concerned about others and is linked with the area of our brain involved in our empathic responses. Compassion and politeness both impact how we interact with others and they combine with several other psychosocial traits to form a larger, more complex concept known as agreeableness or a person's ability to put others' needs before their own. This comes from the five-factor model of psychology, which distills personality into five core factors, often referred to as the big five, ocean, or canoe. These five factors break down into conscientiousness, agreeableness, neuroticism, openness to experience, and extroversion. While there isn't a lot of research on politeness, 
there is a lot of research on agreeableness and the other big five core personality traits. As we talked about earlier, we know that people who are more polite tend to also be more agreeable. So what does the research say on this? My body is hurting. Well, one study published in Psychological Science, the main journal for the Association for Psychological Science, back in 2021, looked at the relationship between personality and physical health outcomes. They used data spanning 20 years that came from nearly 1,200 individuals. And perhaps unsurprisingly, neuroticism, one of the big five personality traits typically defined as the degree to which a person experiences the world as distressing, threatening, or unsafe, and people who experienced higher levels of it were more likely to develop illness and other chronic conditions, likely because people high in neuroticism usually experience longer-lasting and more intense negative emotions when stressors occur. This heightened level of emotion gradually wears down our bodies, which in turn opens us up to disease. On the other hand, higher levels of conscientiousness, characterized by being goal-oriented, well-organized, and responsible, were associated with living longer, healthier lives, lower risk of disease, and better cognitive health. This is likely because highly conscientious people tend to have fewer daily hassles, and when they do experience stressful events in life, they feel more confident in their ability to deal with the stress. All in all, this leads to less wear on our bodies and makes us less likely to get sick or develop a chronic health condition. Unfortunately, to my surprise, there was no such link between agreeableness and positive or negative health outcomes. Although, a look into some other publications echoed similar findings with conscientiousness generally predicting better health outcomes and neuroticism predicting worse. With agreeableness and extroversion both having little to no connection to physical health outcomes, at best, it seems like more agreeable and more polite people tend to have slightly better health than people low in agreeableness, but it's worth pointing out that this relationship is nowhere near as strong as that of conscientiousness. However, things aren't as cut and dry when it comes to subjective health, so how healthy someone feels, and self-rated psychological well-being. Here, it seems, higher amounts of both agreeableness and extroversion are the very least mildly associated with higher levels of positive feelings, lower amounts of negative feelings, and even higher levels of life satisfaction. According to one group of researchers, these connections might be because people high in agreeableness, extroversion, and conscientiousness, i.e. people who are loving, outgoing, or hardworking, tend to have more positive experiences and less negative experiences. Since their traits foster more social and achievement-related successes, so their days on average have more uplifting moments and fewer hassles. Moreover, these people might also have longer-lasting levels of satisfaction and fulfillment, because unlike health, wealth, or privilege, which people quickly adapt and get used to, the satisfaction from love and a fulfilling work doesn't tend to go away as fast. So, while it may not stop the bubonic plague, maybe saying bless you could end up being a blessing for two. That being said, I want to say thanks for joining me on another episode of Beyond the Bunsen. If you enjoyed today's discussion on sneezing etiquette, I hope you'll stay tuned for our episode next week, which I'm hoping to have ready 
on Thursday, October 19th. As always, we'll be diving into another captivating topic that I'm sure will pique your interest. Until then, remember to follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Bunsen for behind-the-scenes content, updates, and many cool moments. I'm Joseph Lahr, your host, signing off. Stay curious, stay passionate, and keep exploring the world of science, sabor, and self-care. Thanks for listening.